then I turned 21. And then my world changed because then I learned I can mask all the emotions from the verbal abuse I went through when I was little, feeding my insecurities, getting taken advantage of, having an abortion. I can just mask all that with alcohol. I can just drink and become somebody that I'm not, become this super confident, secure person, and I don't have to deal with any of that. I can just make a new life for myself. So I grew up Catholic. I grew up knowing who God is. Um, I remember from age like six or seven years old knowing like, wow, God exists. We would go to church every Sunday uh, for a while there. And even holidays like Christmas, we would go at midnight to church and it was like a big thing. You know, I would try to, even on New Year's, I would try to sit down and they're like, no, you need to stand up. Like there was just this reverence for God. Like when you're in the church, you have to be respectful. You're standing up, you're doing so. And so I had that foundation of knowing who, knowing that God exists. I wouldn't necessarily say knowing who he is, but knowing that he's there. And so I have a really big blended family. And for some people, it's really hard to understand. Um, but my parents separated when I was really little. Before I was five years old, they separated. And so from my earliest memory, I have always had a big family. Both sides of my family, my mom and my dad, were all like literally like a big family. Like it's hard for people to understand because they're like, you know, your sisters on your mom's side and then you have sisters on your dad's side, but you guys all call each other sisters and you guys are all always together. So they're like, who, who comes from where? And we're like, we're just sisters. Like that's it. We're just sisters. And so that's how it's been from, from really little. That's all I can remember. I don't ever remember being made to feel to like, oh, she's your half sister. You know, if somebody did say that, my sisters would always be like, no, that's my sister. And that was it. There was no other explanation. It was like, that's my sister. And so I had a really good upbringing, <laughs> um, so much love. And, you know, looking back, I know that the Lord blessed me with this big blended family. And so for some reason, I can remember back to elementary school when I, I would spend you know, weekends with my dad. I lived with my mom, but then I would spend weekends with my dad and my stepmom and my sisters. And I just remember f having this feeling like I'm a stepchild. And there was no reason for it, right? Because nobody ever made me feel that way. It was just in my head. Like I remember from a young age, always being in my head and little things like that, like things that people would say that they wouldn't even mean like, oh, so she's your half sister. Like that would cut me deep because that would just feed to yeah, you're a stepchild. You guys don't have the same mom and dad. So I don't know what it was. It was just, it brought shame to me. Um, and like I said, that's elementary school, having those feelings of, mm, I don't really belong. And again, everybody making me feel so welcomed, but just having those feelings. And so in elementary school, I had a best friend and I would spend a lot of time with her. You know, when my mom would work, I would sometimes spend time with her at her house, sleepovers, all that, you know, what kids do. And uh, we were really good friends. And her mom was actually verbally abusive towards me, um, sometimes physical. I wouldn't say like beating me up or anything, but little things like pinching me or pushing me and things like that. And so in my mind, I was struggling with who are you, <laughs> you know? And that just fed to that identity crisis, even in elementary school. And then I started to feel insecure. Because prior to that, when you're a kid, yeah, sometimes people make fun of you. Oh, why do you have a mole here? You know, things like that. But you don't really recognize things about yourself. Like, why do I look like that? Why, you know, I don't find that a lot of 
really young kids are super insecure. And so when I started going through that, um, she would tell me things like pretty girls don't look like you. They look like so-and-so, you know, my best friend. And, uh, if I would say anything, it's like, you don't know anything. Like, you're stupid. Probably from the age of six to eight, I went through that. I never told my mom. You know, I just kind of sucked it up and internally was really, really struggling. I then became, from what people tell me, they'll tell me, like, you were such a happy, you know, baby and and, and toddler. And, and at some point, you became shy and kind of closed off. And I think that that's when I started to become more closed off. Kind of like, I just want to fade into the back. (laughs) Like I wanted to avoid having her say anything to me. Like I didn't want to do anything outside of the norm because I just wanted to be invisible kind of. I went through that again, didn't tell my mom. I remember telling my sisters one day, like, yeah, this happens to me. Very nonchalant, you know, not being a kid, not realizing that's a big deal. And uh, I remember my sisters being confused, like, have you told your mom? And I'm like, no. So I didn't end up telling my mom. She found out my best friend's mom's sister. So my best friend's aunt actually witnessed, you know, what was happening and had a conversation with my mom. Like, this is how she's, you know, treating her when you're not around. And it was really confusing for me because when my mom was around, she was really nice to me, like very affectionate. And I remember kind of wanting to be on my best behavior so that she could be affectionate towards me or just not be mean, you know? And so it kind of created this, if I act this way, then she'll treat me this way. But that wasn't the case because it was only when my mom was around that she was like super nice. Lots of insecurities. Um, I started, you know, noticing things about myself like, oh, well, I do feel ugly. Like I don't, I don't look like her. And so kind of comparing myself because that's what I heard, you know, for a couple of years. And so, uh, I struggled a lot with that, even as a six, seven, eight-year-old trying to suppress those feelings, right? So going through them on the inside, not knowing how to communicate them, and just kind of pretending like everything's okay, you know, kind of like living, I don't know, living a lie, I guess, because everything wasn't okay. Um, but, you know, going into middle school, we, my mom found out and then I stopped going there, right? So then my relationship with my best friend kind of fell off. And that affected me too, because I'm like, geez, like I can't even have, you know, the same kind of relationship with her. So just feeling hurt at that time, you know, we would still talk. It was just like an elephant in the room. Like we would go to school on Saturdays together. I went to um, a Spanish school every Saturday. And so we were at that school together. And, um, you know, there were times where uh, they would be bickering back and forth like our parents. And it was just really awkward. And we didn't know how to navigate that at that age because it was like, obviously, our parents aren't getting along. Right. So what do we do? And it was just kind of like we never talked about it. It was just awkward from that point, that point on. So going into middle school, taking a lot of those insecurities with me in my mind, wanting to be like, I just want to be invisible. (laughs) I just want to go to school, come home. I don't want anybody to talk to me. You know, I just want to do what I got to do. And so, you know, in middle school, you're kind of going through that phase where kids are a little, you know, they've been exposed to a little bit more. And so I remember like going through a little bit of bullying in middle school, nothing really heavy, but just even the slightest thing that people would say that wouldn't affect somebody else would deeply affect me. And it was like, a deep wound that even if it was just like, why does your hair look like that? I would be like really hurt by that. (laughs) And so 
I didn't want anybody to say anything because I knew I was really sensitive. And on the exterior, I, you know, to my family, I kind of started developing this attitude problem, like just being nasty, like being mean, being moody. And so I think that that's something that happens to some people, you know, at that age when you're going through puberty and all these changes in your life. But for me, it was like I started going into this shell. Like I didn't have control over what happened to me, you know, and I developed all these wounds and all this hurt that I was bottling up, I wasn't talking about, and I could control my mood in a sense, and I saw how it affected people around me. You know, my mom would be like, why are you acting like this? Like, what is wrong with you? And I guess it was a sense of control thing. Like, I can act this way at home, but I have to be invisible in school kind of thing. So I went through that going into, that was sixth and seventh grade. Going into eighth grade, I moved schools and I started getting friends. I went to a school in sixth and seventh grade where it was a little bit more hardcore. And when I moved in eighth grade, it was this school where everybody was friends. Like it didn't matter what your ethnicity was, what, nothing, nothing mattered. Everybody was friends. And I remember being like, this is so weird. (laughs) I came from a school where it's kind of like different ethnicities hung out with each other, different races hung out with each other. That's what I was used to, honestly. And I didn't have anywhere that I fit in. (laughs) I just didn't. So when I went, when I went to eighth grade and I saw this, I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. I started to get more friends, still really, really insecure, but now putting my identity in Now I have friends. So now my worth was people liking me. So then I got into the phase of people pleasing. So now I don't want to be invisible. Now I want to people please because that makes me feel worthy. And that's in eighth grade. So when I think back to when I look at eighth graders now, I'm like, that's a lot for eighth grade, you know, couldn't process it then, didn't know what was going on. But through a lot of prayer now and just revisiting those memories and those emotions, it's it's heavy. And there's been a lot of healing that's had to take place. So now my identity is not, I want to be invisible. It's, I want to be popular. <laughs> I want to be the people that people want to be around. That made me feel good. And at home, I was still a miserable person. I was still attitude problem mean to my family. And for some reason, it was just at my mom's house. When I went to my dad's house, I, you know, my dad and his wife, I was a different person. And then I would come back and be me. And my mom's like, I don't understand. Like I would have moments, of course, where I was, you know, nice and we could have a good time. But for the most part, I was just moody, just very moody. And it deeply affected people around me. That was eighth grade going into high school, kind of carrying that with me. High school was different. You come from eighth grade where you're the the oldest in the school and like, yeah, I'm popular. And then you go into high school and you're like, oh, well, nobody really knows me here. Like I'm not. <laughs> so navigating through that, I had one best friend in high school. We were friends in middle school, became really close in high school. She stayed best friends with me all throughout high school. We're still best friends to this day. And so we really clinged on to each other because high school was a different ball game. And so I remember still struggling internally, but now going into high school, people are getting boyfriends and people are, you know, there's, it's just a whole different world. And so I kind of became this person that I really wasn't, but again, it was the people pleasing. It was, if I can be this way, people will like me, even though that wasn't me. And that caught up with me, (laughs) that caught up with me because it's exhausting. 
it's really exhausting pretending to be somebody that you're not. It's tiring. So I go into ninth grade was okay, you know, kind of gathering my surroundings. Tenth grade, I got into a relationship. And that was my first like real, really real. I say real. It's in high school. But, you know, what I thought was real at that time. So I was 15 uh, when I started dating this person. And we dated on and off until I was 21. So it was a long time. You know, I went through a lot of phases with him. And so that relationship was filled with drama. (laughs) It was really good at the beginning because he was very outgoing. So he kind of got me out of my shell, you know, and then people because he was really popular, people were like, oh, that's Christina. So then I started getting to know more people and and becoming more popular. And uh, again, people pleasing and just putting my worth in. If I act this way and people like me, I feel worthy. I feel like I mean something to people. And so I could mask those insecurities that came from what I went through as a child with, well, I'm popular. So that's, that's it. That's my identity. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm popular now. And so going through that relationship wasn't even really a relationship. When I think back on it, it was more like me being in the relationship and him just saying he was. So that went on. For again, I was 15 when we got together and we didn't break up until I was 21, way after high school. And so I got pregnant after high school. That was scary. (laughs) That was really scary for me. And I ended up having an abortion. And uh, it was a time where I was struggling because I had been in this relationship. I gained all like friends and popularity, feeling empty on the inside. And then putting my identity in this relationship that I was in and it constantly failing, you know, the cheating and the the lying and all the things that we went through. So now my worth was like, first it was like, oh, you're popular. Yay. And then it was like, oh, you're getting cheated on. So you don't, you're not worth anything. So I, you know, the pattern in my life has been identity crisis. Who are you? Who is Christina? Who is she really uh, without the mask on? And so... I had an abortion and that brought a lot of shame. And I remember telling my stepmom and, you know, the first thing that she told me was, you know, that God forgives you. And so I didn't know that, you know, I, I really struggled with, I did the wrong thing. And I can remember sitting in the office and the ultrasound technician telling me, do you want to see? And I told her no, because I just couldn't look. I just wanted it to be over with. And so that stayed in my mind for a long time. And so when my stepmom told me that, it started this, does he forgive me? You know, um, I failed him. And At that time, I didn't have a personal relationship with him. And so it was hard to understand. It was really hard. And uh, I went through a lot by myself because, you know, the person that I was with, he didn't even talk to me. You know, the day that it happened, a couple days before it happened, a couple days after it happened, we just didn't talk, you know? He's like, I didn't think you were actually going to do it. So in the midst of all this, I... uh, was in my senior year and I'm backtracking a little bit because my abortion was after high school. I was 18 years old in high school. I was 19 years old when this happened. 
uh, shortly after high, I graduated high school. So in my senior year, him and I were on a break. And um, now in my senior year, I'm discovering people party, people drink, even though they're not 21. And, uh, you know, I grew up being exposed to drinking and, oh, yeah, take a sip here and there. It's not a big deal, you know. And so it wasn't completely foreign. It was just like high schoolers go out and it's just them and they're partying. Like, what is this? I remember going out with a friend to somebody's house and uh, we were drinking. I remember drinking. And then I, the next thing, I woke up in a hospital bed. When I woke up in the hospital bed, they told me, um, we have reason to believe that you were raped. And I'm like, you know, just taken back. Still had alcohol in my system, IVs in my arm. And I'm thinking, like, what happened? I had lied to my mom about where I was going. You know, she didn't know. She thought I was going to my best friend's house, which I frequently did. So she had no idea where I was. So when, you know, we started talking about the night, again, all I remember is drinking in a basement and then waking up in the hospital bed. So what my mom told me was there was a ring on the doorbell after 12, really late, and um, she didn't answer it. There was another ring on the doorbell and then she opened the door and she found me laying in front of the door immediately what is going on? You know, her daughter is laying unconscious on the floor. And, uh, you know, my shirt was on wrong. My pants were unbuttoned. The worst is going through her mind. So then she looks and she sees a car with two guys in it. She pulls me into the house, calls the ambulance and, uh, didn't know anything until I woke up the next morning. And I kind of told her what happened, told her that I had been out drinking. And, uh, all I remember is that. So, that that also brought a lot of shame. That was when I can remember being like, I messed up. I messed up. This isn't how I should be living my life. And I tied that back to the foundation that I have of, you know, knowing who God is. And I remember thinking, mm, this isn't good, you know? I found a letter recently that I wrote myself back then. And in the letter, you know, I talked about that night. And I, in the letter, I said, drinking is stupid. I'm not going to do that ever again. Like, that wasn't worth it. You know, what happened to me? And so it's ironic reading that letter now because what should have driven me away from alcohol pulled me in deeper. And so going into college, didn't drink too much. But I, then I turned 21. And then my world changed because then I learned I can mask all the emotions from the verbal abuse I went through when I was little, being in that relationship, feeding my insecurities, getting taken advantage of, having an abortion. I can just mask all that with alcohol. I can just drink and become somebody that I'm not, become this super confident, secure person, and I don't have to deal with any of that. I can just make a new life for myself. I'm 21. I'm an adult. I'm starting to become more independent. And that's what I'm going to do. So I partied a lot from the age of 21 to 25. I partied a lot. It would be Thursday through Sunday. And I was in hair school at the time. So I, I came back from college and I decided, mm, I don't want to do college. I want to do cosmetology school. So that was every Saturday. Uh, I was still going out. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I was just showing up to school hungover, still smelling like alcohol. <laughs> and so 
I loved that life because of all the things that it was masking and because I felt happy in the moment. I just felt on top of the world. It was still leaving me empty. I was still waking up like there's got to be more to this because I was introduced to Christianity before that. And I kind of, wow, you know, now I'm learning about Jesus. Now I'm learning about there's a sacrifice that he made for us. And there's people my age that are walking in holiness or trying to. And I had no idea what that looked like for me because I had spent so many years with this persona that wasn't even me. I just didn't know what that looked like for my life. Like, I'm actually going to have to be myself. There's no drinking when you're going to a Bible study. (laughs) You have to be yourself, you know? And so I learned about that, but then I backslid. I backslid a lot because I was still in that relationship. And then I turned 21. Me and him had broken up and I could start drinking legally. So that's what I did. You know, I, I started drinking and I started going out. And now my identity was Christina's the party girl. She always knows where the party is. She's always doing something. And so from 21 to 20, 25, I had moments where I would be like, I want to go to church. I want to go to church. I want to read my Bible. I remember sitting on my bed, opening my Bible, not knowing what does any of this mean? You know, I had grown up Catholic, never read my Bible, did it for for my communion classes that I did in, in middle school, you know, read some verses and memorized a couple things, but never really sat down to understand what was in the Bible. So I had moments where I would do that, but then I would get pulled back in to, well, you're a party girl. That's who you are. You're a party girl. That's your lifestyle. And so I remember having these thoughts because I went to a, in this, in, in the midst of all this, on and off, I went to a church where they would say, just accept Jesus into your heart. Say this prayer with me. I said it every single time I went to church. Every single time at the end, I said that prayer and they would say, come up and talk to someone. We have resources for you. And I remember a couple times I went up, but then I'm like, I'm saying this every time I come. Like, they're going to be like, why why are you coming up every time? And so I remember hearing about the concept of being born again. So in my mind, I'm like, I'm saying this prayer, but then I'm hearing that you, you have to be born again. What does that mean? Like, I don't understand. And I remember in my head being like, you're, you party, you drink, you get drunk. People are going to think you're a hypocrite. You can't just all of a sudden go to church consistently and your life can't change that way. It just can't. At this point, I'm still people pleasing, right? What are people going to think of me? Christina, the party girl turned church girl. Like that doesn't, mm, something sounds off about that. And so that was my mindset. So for years, in the midst of the drunkenness and the partying, having those moments and um, having that pull. And so I turned 25 and I got pregnant with my son and my life changed because then you're pregnant. You can't just go out and party. So I was completely cut off from that world. You know, the friends that I had, they became more distant. Just, you know, my close friends stuck around. But now my identity was you're going to be a mom. You got to get your stuff together. (laughs) And so my now husband, we weren't even boyfriend, girlfriend when I got pregnant. So being pregnant, deciding, me and my now husband deciding, okay, we're going to try this. We'll be in a relationship because we're having a kid and we got to make it work kind of thing. So we did. And it came with a lot of 
ups and downs, navigating, learning each other, but then taking care of a whole human. (laughs) And so that was difficult. Um, So my son was born in 2018. And in 2019, somebody, uh, a a friend, introduced us to another church. And so on and off, I had been going to, to this one church where... And I, you know, I said, I would say that prayer every time I went, um, but then we were introduced to another church. And so we went to this church and now I'm hearing more stories that sound like mine and people that I knew of, because we either went to high school together or we know somebody through somebody. I'm like, they used to live the same life I did. And now they're here and they're different. So then I started learning, hmm, maybe he can do it for me. You know, maybe there's something to this because I had spent all that time thinking, you know, I was introduced 18, maybe 19 to to the concept of Jesus. And now I'm 25 having a kid, 26 going to this church. So in all that time, I'm thinking he doesn't save people like me. I've been through too much. When I hear people talk, I hear them saying that they were saved at a young age and they've been serving the Lord ever since. That's not me. So thinking that I was too far, too far gone. So now I'm going to a church where I know uh, some of these people and I'm like, wow, they're different. Like this is, this is different. So now I'm starting to feel conviction for different things, different things. Um, And that was the Holy Spirit speaking to me, you know? And that was when little things started changing. I started reading my Bible a little bit more. Where I had put my identity in motherhood, I'm learning, I can lean on the Lord. Not knowing fully what that looked like, but now learning, okay, there's more to this. So that that piqued my curiosity even more. So the pandemic hit and we stopped going to that church. You know, made a couple changes, like... The Lord is convicting us, so we're going to stop doing certain things now. Then we get pregnant with my daughter. (laughs) So that's in the midst of 2020. Then we get married shortly after that because we're like, we're in this for the long haul. (laughs) You know, the Lord started speaking to us and we got married. And so that was kind of a new beginning for us. But we hadn't yet surrendered everything to the Lord. So we took a lot of things into our marriage and now we're adding a, a second child on top of all the, th- all the things that we're kind of sweeping under the rug. So we're married now and having good, really good moments and then not so good moments. And then a year later, we're separated. So a year after we got married, literally a year, when I say a year, one year. So we were supposed to go on an anniversary trip and um, that was July 31st, we got married. So that weekend, July 31st, we were supposed to go on an anniversary trip. And I said, I'm not going. I want to get divorced. And for him, it kind of came out of left field because although things had been up and down, I bottle everything in. That's been the pattern of my life. Bottling up feelings, not talking about it, putting on this mask. I'm okay. But then it just got to be too much. Then I got overwhelmed. Then my faith started getting put on the back burner because then I'm trying to take on all these roles, fix all these things in my mind, not even with action. Everything's in my mind. That's been a pattern in my life too, being in my head from a young age, being in my head. So then one day I just exploded. I want a divorce. That's it. I'm getting a divorce. I told my family, 
I told my friends, and we took the steps. He, he moved out. I was happy. I felt relieved. I was like, yeah, this is good. I'm going to get a fresh start now. So I had my son and my daughter. When he would take them on the weekends, I would go out with friends, and I would drink. That's what I knew how to do, you know? I couldn't do that for a couple of years because I had kids. I had a home to balance. I had, you know, a relationship and then a marriage. I couldn't do that. I couldn't just go out and drink. So when he would take the kids, I would go out with my friends. And I remember quickly feeling like, mm, this is something that the Lord pulled me out of. This is a lifestyle that he pulled me out of. And now I'm just going right back into it. I'm masking what I'm going through with alcohol again. <laughs> and so, you know, to my family and friends, oh, Christina's so happy. A weight has been lifted off of her shoulders. She has seemed so down and now she's happy again. So in the midst of our, our separation, I get in touch with somebody that I went to high school with. And so we had talked here and there, you know, she became a Christian and I knew her husband more, more than I knew her. But you know, we had connected over little things on Instagram, like, you know, things that I posted about my faith or, or whatever, you know, she just realized like, oh, she, you know, she's Christian too. And so, um, you know, we, we were talking and, and she reached out to me and we were like, oh, you know, we have to get together. And so we did. She came over one day. My husband and I had been separated at this month, uh, at this point for probably a month and a half, almost two months. So she came over and we started talking and she's like, you can talk to me. You can tell me what's been going on, you know, because I had told her that we were separated and um, she was like, I knew something was up. I knew something was up. I felt like I needed to reach out to you. So we started talking. I started, you know, kind of briefing her on this is what I've been going through. And now I don't have to go through that anymore. I'm happy. I'm relieved. So then she tells me you're a Christian and you got married. That's not something to take lightly. You got married before God. So now I'm like, because mm. I had spent the past month and a half, two months feeling like I was so happy, being so hateful towards my husband, saying just the meanest things, right? Because at that point, I felt like that was making me feel better. I was hurt for X amount of time. And now the script has flipped. And so now I'm kind of taking all my emotions out on him, not dealing with them just throwing things on him, right? Being just mean and at the same time feeling happy. This weight is lifted. I don't have to deal with him anymore. That's it. So when she started telling me that, I started thinking like, okay, so where's she going with this? Because I had had other people say, you know, the Lord can fix, you know, he redeems and yeah, but I don't want him to. I'm over it. I don't want him to. I don't want him to fix it. <laughs> I'm not praying for that. I'm praying because I'm thankful that I feel relieved. So she tells me, divorce shouldn't even be in your vocabulary. And I'm like, hmm. In one moment, I feel like the best way for me to describe it is I had a block of ice around my heart. In one moment, it shattered. And I'm like, what am I doing? What am I doing? What have I done? My family's involved. My friends are involved, you know, because we went through toxic situations together. And so there being some sort of relief with my parents and, you know, my sisters and them feeling like, good, you know, she's she feels better. All this is going on in my head. I'm like, what is happening right now? 
because then my heart got soft. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I don't want to get a divorce. Like, what have I done? What, what did I do? I brought everybody into this. All of our lives have changed, you know? Uh, my husband has moved all his, not all his stuff, but a lot of his stuff out. And I'm going to disappoint people when I tell them, I don't want to divorce anymore. <laughs> that was really heavy for me. And then, you know, at the end of our conversation, I, I kind of started to tell her like, wow, this is really, you know, speaking to me right now. And so, you know, she leaves and she's like, put your ring back on. Because <laughs> I had taken my ring off, just, you know, petty, just to hurt my husband, right? Taking my ring off. I'm not married anymore. and pretending like I'm not married. So she tells me, put your ring back on. So she leaves and I'm sitting there with, with all this, like, wow, this is a lot to take in right now. I go get my ring. I put it back on. And I remember texting my husband because he had been pursuing me, even though I was being cruel. <laughs> he had been pursuing me and saying like, I'm going to pray, you know, that's all I can do. So I remember texting him like, hey, um, are you still willing to maybe try out marriage counseling? That was my way of saying like, maybe I don't want to do this without saying it. And he's he's all excited, right? So he has my kids. I'm, I'm home by myself. Uh, I still kind of have that people pleasing trait in me, right? So when I'm thinking, mm, I feel the Lord telling me that I'm not going to get a divorce and that he's going to redeem my marriage. How am I going to tell my family that? You know, it's going to cause a lot of disappointment and stress. And I just had this, I had this battle in my mind. But at the same time, in my head, I'm like, Lord, you told me to do this. And you're going to have to figure it out for me because I can't do it. I feel crazy. I feel crazy at this point, right? And so it came so suddenly at a point where I had been backsliding, right? Because we had been introduced to this church. We looked at Christianity way differently. And then I wanted a divorce and then it was me backsliding, right? So I wasn't praying, oh God, please redeem my marriage. I wasn't praying for that. In that moment where I felt my heart get soft, I knew it was him. And I remember thinking, I'm about to change. My life is about to change. And thinking back to my 18, 19 year old self, this is what I've been asking you for. I've been so confused on what it means to be transformed from the inside out, to be born again. And in the midst of me wanting a divorce, now you're showing me. And my mind was just blown because that was a 11 year pursuit of what does that mean? Through all my mistakes, through all my drunkenness, through everything, that it was an 11 year pursuit and in a moment, then he was teaching me. That's when the real teaching started. That's when I started to feel like I had a personal relationship with him. He's drawing me in and I'm, I'm coming closer <laughs> because I have nobody else to depend on but you when I tell my family that I got myself out of a relationship where my husband and I were extremely toxic towards each other. Now I'm telling them that I'm going back. But I know it's going to be different. I knew it was going to be work, but I had this peace in the Lord is going to work it out for me. I remember my mom sitting on the couch, you know, shortly after my husband and I, you know, had a conversation and I gave him back his ring too. And he was all excited and we were excited, you know? So I remember telling my mom, maybe I'll, I'll try to see what it looks like. You know, I didn't tell anybody. God told me that I need to get back. I didn't tell anybody that. 
maybe I'll see what it looks. And she's like, you're thinking about getting back with him? And I'm like, yeah. And she was like, wow. Have you told your dad? I'm like, no. <laughs> that was the last person I wanted to tell. Um, you know, I told some of my sisters and they're like shocked. Like, okay. Really confused because one moment you're rejoicing and then now you're saying you're getting back with him. A little confusing, you know. I remember not even telling my best friend and I, ha I did a story on Instagram and I had my ring on. My best friend's like my sister. She's like, you have your ring on. And I'm like, yeah. She's like, when were you going to tell me? Instantly, I kind of got defensive. Like, well, I don't have to explain. Like, this is what I'm doing kind of thing. So I had to sit and I had to process. I don't want to ruin relationships in my life, but I do want you to redeem my marriage. So I need you. I need you right now. <laughs> to show me what that looks like. So I remember having a conversation with my dad. We're on the phone and we had multiple conversations, you know, and I remember telling him one thing. When people are sick, we pray to God that he heals them. Why can't he do that for my marriage? Why can't he heal my marriage? You know, if we believe in those moments that he will heal someone, why can't that happen for my marriage? And my dad didn't really have an answer. And so my husband and I get back together and I have never been the same since that day. I have never been the same. The way I thought, the desires that I had, the way I communicated, um, you know, I, I kind of had a, a sailor's mouth, I think they call it, like cursed a lot, even with having kids. And, you know, my son was getting a little bit bigger and starting to repeat stuff like this. No more cursing. And... I started being transformed and it was only God, only God, only Jesus could have <laughs> came in in that moment where my heart was stone cold and radically changed the way that I felt. Then he started bringing me into community and uh, just going deeper and that doesn't look the same for everyone, but for me, it looked so much different than the moments where I on a weekend where not much was going on, oh, I didn't really drink a lot last night. I can go to church. Going, that curiosity being there, now it was like, I'm taking you deep. Like, we're in this for the, for the long haul. <laughs> and so I had always questioned, am I saved in that? Because I'm saying this prayer every, every Sunday. Am I really saved if I have to say it every Sunday? I don't know. And so now I was in a place where I wasn't questioning that anymore. Like, you're working in my life. And then people around me started seeing, you guys are different, you know? My husband has an entire testimony of his own, but people saying, you're different and you're different to me and my husband. My life hasn't been the same since. <laughs> and I, like I said, I got involved with, with more community and he started restoring some of the relationships from, from high school of, of people that I was doing Bible study with and stuff like that. And so... I still was kind of striving, still feeling like I need to please God. Like I have to do things to please him, you know, uh, feeling a lot of shame when I messed up. I need to read my Bible every day. So if there was a day that I didn't, shame. Wow, you didn't read your Bible. God is disappointed. So one thing somebody told me that really stuck with me, this is somebody that knew me in high school, right? And so now 11 years later, we're reconnected tells me, he waited for you for 11 years. How much more is he going to do now that he has you? 
that wrecked me. (laughs) That really, really, really wrecked me. Because then I started thinking back to all the things I had went through. And being somebody that suppresses a lot of emotions, I had to go through a lot of healing with the Lord. And um, even still to this day, there's things that he's still, you know, helping me through. So hearing that, and then, and then they tell me after that, how much more is he going to do now? You don't have to strive. You can rest in being his daughter. And that still makes me emotional because being somebody who all my life I have been a people pleaser and put my worth in so many other things other than Jesus, I felt relief. And so even after, you know, this radical transformation, I felt like you don't have to feel shame. You know, it's okay. There is grace that exists. So then I started learning, God is patient. You know, I started really thinking back to 11 years is a long time. You know, that's a long time. And I messed up a lot in those 11 years. There's a lot that happened. And so then I started realizing I am forgiven. And now I have to forgive myself. Now I have a solid identity in Christ. Now I can show people who Christina is. And so this peace came over me where even, you know, in thinking, what, what is my family going to think? What, you know, when I tell them that I'm getting back with my husband, um, I had peace and I had joy and that can only come from the Lord. And so it's been a really long journey. It's been really long. And, you know, I was a, a kid who had all these insecurities. Then I was a young adult who still had insecurities, but now I'm putting my identity in the world. And then I became a young adult who was still putting my identity in the world. Now there's Jesus. <laughs> and so... It's been a long journey and looking back, reflecting on where were you in the midst of all that? You know, what were you doing when I was going through all that? And one thing that he showed me was you had to feel empty for me to fill you, for me to truly fill you. And he's right because... When I was filling myself with the world, I didn't have any room for him. You know, I was seeking him, but there was no room for him to enter and do the transformative work that he does. And so I heard him tell me, you know, even in just prepping to share my story, I had to empty you to fill you. And that took 11 years. (laughs) That took 11 years. And so... Now my life is just radically different, and it's only because of Jesus. Christina, who is Jesus to you? He's my redeemer. He's my father, and he's my friend. And even when I encountered him as a redeemer, when he redeemed my marriage, I didn't know him as a friend. I knew him as a father who I had to please 
who I had to strive to please. And so in that moment where I was told, you know, it's been this long, you don't have to strive. He waited for you. Then I learned he's my friend. I don't have to strive to please him. He's always going to be there. He's always been there, even when you couldn't feel him. He's always been there. And so he's my everything. He's the only thing that will always remain constant. Mm. So when I had all those identity shifts and insecurities, he's a healer. Christina, for those people who are currently looking at divorce as an option, what can you speak to those couples, to that man, to that woman watching your testimony right now? Well, the most obvious I would say is that Jesus redeems. But more than that, because I had people telling me that and I didn't believe it. So more than that, if you're in a place where you see no other way out, just lean on him. Just lean on him. And it's it doesn't look the same for everyone, right? The, the redemption process, it doesn't look the same for everyone. But he can do it. Even if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, even if you're confused, he can do it. If you have faith, he's going to do it. There's hope. There's hope for those who feel hopeless. And I've been there. I felt hopeless. I felt like there was no other way out. But there was. And his grace covers. And it doesn't matter what your marriage looked like. It can look radically different if you just surrender it to Jesus. Any last words? I would just say the Lord is patient, and I had to learn that. And so if you're in a place where you're feeling like, I'm too far gone for Jesus, you're not. And that's the beautiful thing is that even it doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what you've done. You're never too far gone to give your life to Jesus and for him to work in your life. Everything you've been through will one day be a testimony. That's going to touch other people because there's too many people out there that think that they're too far gone, that don't hear testimonies of regular people who mess up on a daily basis and still rest in being a son and daughter of the Lord. So there's hope. And we have to rest in that. And I would say, you're not too far gone for Jesus to save you. He can save anyone. He can do it. 